have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 5 through 9. Just to put us in context again. What we're doing is we're unpacking what it looks like to not get drunk with wine, but to be filled in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. We're to address one another in worship. We're to have thankful hearts to God, and we're to submit to one another. We're in the last illustration of this submitting to one another. We saw husbands and wives and that mutual submission and love relationship, children and parents, and now we're going to see slaves and masters. All right? So let's look at it. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. With a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, render service with good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he'll receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he is both uh, their master and yours in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Father, I pray you open up your word to us now. Lord, that we wouldn't just find it interesting, but that we would seek to please Christ from the heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a believer, you've probably said these words. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. This is often how we identify ourselves as believers. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And at least... For myself, growing up, uh, just in Christian culture, using Christianese language, I never really thought about what all those words meant. What does it mean that He's my Lord and my Savior? Well, this morning, we're going to consider what it means when we confess Christ as Lord in a very practical area of life. Uh, in in the area of wherever you find yourself, under authority or in authority, especially in your employment, whether you're the employer or you're the employee. What we have is a principle that Scripture gives us that teaches us how to navigate our lives. Uh, back in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 10, we read 
the word to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's what Christians are to do. We're to try to discern what would please the Lord. Well, this would be a question that would be at the forefront of the believers in Ephesus. Because in Ephesus, you have Jewish believers who are following Christ. You would have Roman believers that are following Christ. And both their worldviews, both the way, ways that they previously knew how to function, would be so much different from each other. And now they're gathered to worship together and they're trying to figure out what does it look like for me to please Christ now that He is Lord of my life? Now that Christ is Lord. Now that I've died to myself. Now that I've been given the new birth as a new man in Christ. What implications does this have in the practical area of my life? And he went through the family. He went through uh, the relationship in the church family. Then he goes through the relationship between husband and wives and children and parents. And now he's speaking to slaves and masters. And if you look at your notes, you can see that I have prepared them in regards to the principle from this text. We don't have any slave owners, I don't think, in this room. And we don't have any slaves in the same sense that there was in Paul's day, at least in this room. Uh, slavery is at an all-time high in the world, buying and selling human beings. Uh, but the principle is practical uh, to our lives. And so the charge of this message, and I think you'll see it in the text, is keep your eyes on the Lord in all your work. Keep your eyes on the Lord in all your work. And uh, as we look at verse 5, here's what we read bond servants, which really is a soft way to describe what is the lowest slave. Doesn't bond servant sound, servant sounds kind of nice, right? Slave, not so much. The bond servant is one without rights. And especially uh, for those in Roman culture. Uh, he says, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. I want to read the parallel passage in Colossians just so you can have it in your mind. And... Uh, as we're working through our text in Ephesians. Let me just read how he says it in Colossians 3. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. 
not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. So that's Paul addressing slaves in the church at Colossae. I want to show you one more. Titus 2.9 is helpful, I think. Someone might say, well, why? What, what might be a reason why I would want to obey my earthly master, especially in such, a, such an extravagant way? Why should I put my heart and soul into this? And what Paul tells Titus and what he instructs him to instruct slaves with is he wants them to know that as believers in Christ, we may speak the gospel rightly and truly but we may put very ugly garments on it. We might get the facts of the gospel right, but we're called to adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is possible because our Lord died for sinners. This gospel ought to be adorned by the way we live. So listen how he says this in Titus 2.9. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That's why they're to live the way Paul calls them to live, their masters might not know Christ. They might know you know Christ. And it matters how you carry yourself. What a pra how practical is God's Word for us? The thing I've heard over and over and over again, you talk to any employers, you talk to those that are running short on employees, everyone's saying the same thing. It's hard to find good help. It's hard to find help at all. People are happy to hire bad help. And so more than ever, the problem, everyone talks about, so what's the problem? How do you solve the problem? Christ is how you solve the problem. Hearts need to be changed at a heart level. And so, the first charge, employees, faithfully serve your employer. And we're going to look at seven ways to qualify that statement that we see in this text. And the first one is with this. Uh, 
We're, 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 you're to faithfully serve your employer with respect and reverence. Look at what he says. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. That's the fundamental charge of the text. Everything else is going to be qualifying that. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. All right? That's where we see respect and reverence. Before we jump into this point, though, I do just want to say a little bit. So we could have done a whole sermon on slavery and what Scripture says about slavery. And so I'm, this is probably dangerous to just tell you a little bit because I'm going to want to go through all this. But to, to put it in perspective, uh, throughout different times, slavery has taken different forms. There's always been abuse involved in slavery. That's true. But it has taken different forms. In fact, in the Old Testament, even in the Old Testament law, uh, Israelites are described uh, how they are to treat slaves. They're told that if they injure their slave, for example, if one were to uh, injure their slave so that they lose an eye, the slave must be freed. And, and so we have uh, instructions in the Old Testament how Israelites are supposed to treat slaves. In fact, if it, fellow Israelites are indebted to other Israelites, they can sell themselves into slavery, and at the year of Jubilee, they would be set free of, again. But within the law, there's strict parameters on how to treat with dignity any slave that they might have. Now, at the time that Paul's writing, uh, slavery in the Roman Empire was brutal. The dignity of human beings, you've heard of the Colosseum, for entertainment, they slaughtered people. People would gather in arenas to watch Christians and criminals be torn apart. Slaves were looked at in the Roman Empire as tools. In fact, Aristotle, who's very educated, you might say he's really sophisticated, he said you have inanimate tools and you have animate tools. You have a certain type of tool that can talk, and then you have tools that are like a hammer or a wrench. That's how they were regarded, even by Roman law. It was legal to do whatever you wanted with your slaves. The laws in the Roman Empire did not were not concerned with... Uh, protecting slaves. In fact, a slave owner could put their slave to death if they wanted to. There's hideous accounts that I could read you. A slave breaks a, a crystal goblet and is crucified for it. One of the Roman uh, leaders advised all Roman citizens, when your slaves get old, they're not worth the food. Throw them in the dump 
or kill him. Now, it is, the reality was, is when you had good slave owners in those days, those slaves might be treated well. In fact, it was often to the best interest of the slave owner to treat him well, because if you have a slave that's happy and works hard, they're worth more. You could sell them for more, or they have more value to you, but this is what slavery was like at the time Paul is writing this letter. And it bothers many Christians as we read this that the Bible doesn't just come out and specifically condemn slavery. Now, the fact that Paul is addressing slaves would have been unheard of in that culture. He's treating them as full members of the body of Christ. That they're worthy of ink to be spilled on how they are to live. So there's a sense where we can read this and say, wow, he's telling slaves to obey their masters. This is such a hideous thing. We also know from uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells slaves, if you can become free, become free. When Paul speaks of a wife to be submissive to her husband, he puts theology under it. He says, this is the way God created it. As the husband is the head of the wife. He put he made a theology for the relationship between the husband and wife, but here he gets to slavery. He doesn't put any theology under it. He just is telling slaves. Many Christians find themselves in this position, and he's showing them how to live out faithful lives to their Lord Christ in that position. He's not building a case for slavery. In fact, the type of slavery that we're more familiar with, when the Europeans went and kidnapped Africans and sold them, is specifically condemned in the Old Testament. The one who would would, uh, kidnap another man and sell him in Israel was to get the death penalty. And wherever Christ has reigned in hearts, slavery has gone down. When leadership has had Christ reigning in the hearts of people, slavery falls. We think of William Wilberforce. We think of George Whitfield and the Second Great Awakening as they're preaching the gospel as people's hearts are being changed. Christianity within the Scripture teaches the dignity of man. And so I think that's all uh, we have time to talk about. Well, I I want to say one more. Remember Paul writing to Philemon? What what, What does he say about his slave Onesimus, who's become a Christian? He basically says, 
He's your brother in the Lord. Set him free. And so people that try to use the Bible to justify slavery, I think are on the wrong foot. But here's what the Bible does do. Paul and Jesus didn't go after political systems to reform political systems. Because here's the thing. A good political system that is functioning with hearts that are greedy, there's going to be oppression of people. The system isn't the thing. It's the hearts that are in the system. If you have a bad system and you have good hearts in it, and so the Scripture is always laser-focused. You read the New Testament, it's laser-focused on preaching Christ because Christ changes hearts. And when hearts are changed, then political systems change. So, what does he say to these slaves? One more thing to put it in perspective. It's estimated that when Paul's writing this in the Roman Empire, that there's 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. 60 million. 35% of the ancient world as far as we can tell, 35% of the population would have been in the category of a slave. Alright? So here's what he says. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. And he qualifies it with this. With fear and trembling. Now there's other places in the Scripture where these two words are put together. Psalm 2.11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Philippians 2.12 says, therefore my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Or 2 Corinthians 7.15 and his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. So that has this idea of reverence and respect. It doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter how low a position you think you have. And it doesn't even matter whether your boss is kind to you or not. You are calm as an employee to show respect to the authority that is over you. And the reason why we're going to see in a moment is because ultimately that authority is over you in Christ. That doesn't mean that a person, these days you always got to qualify, right? That doesn't mean you have to put up with physical abuse or sexual abuse or verbal abuse. That doesn't 
Me and you. Don't tell somebody about that. You don't try to get out of that situation. But he's speaking to slaves that are in terrible situations that they can't, often, they could never get out of. And he says, adorn the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ by your conduct. It matters what you do at work. It matters if you look at your boss with respect or not. Secondly, he qualifies it in the notes I have with sincerity of heart. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. Often we as Christians discuss and evaluate what is the right thing to do. Right? Is it right to do this? Or is it right to do that? Or is this wrong? And often Christians will discuss what the right thing to do is. But I think far less seldom do we think about our attitudes and intentions of the heart. See, that's, that's the thing. When Christ is your Lord, the easy thing might be to figure out the right thing to do. The difficult thing is to do it with a sincere heart. So, employees are not just called to show respect to your boss, but to do it from a heart that wants to do it, that thinks he deserves it. It's right that I show him respect. It's with pure intentions. It's without scheming. It's without deceit. It's without flattery or any kind of base motive. Listen how King David uh, says this. And I knew the Lord, that you were one who tests hearts, and you love righteousness in simplicity of heart. David knew that God was going to look at the motive of his heart. By the time Christ came, you have all these Pharisees, all they're looking at is the outside, and they've forgotten that the Lord is looking at the sincerity of our actions at a heart level. And then we see that we're called the faith, that employees are called to faithfully serve their employers with the same devotion that you serve Christ. You're not supposed to see them as two separate things. But the Christ is standing there. In everything you do. Look at what the text says. With a sincere heart as you would Christ. Obey them with a sincere heart as you would Christ. It's pretty self-explanatory. I don't know that I need to say too much on this. That Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do, whatever you do, that's everything, 
in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So you don't have your service to Christ at church or in your family devotion, and then you go to work and do something else. Your service to Christ is in everything that you do. And then you're to seek to be faithful to your employer without your eyes on men. Here's a question to ask. Do you work harder when your boss is around? Do you work harder when people are watching your work? God tells slaves, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Don't be like one who seeks to impress his boss and then when the boss walks away, you begin to steal from your boss. You know, I watch some of these Ray Comfort videos when he's witnessing on the streets and he's always taking people through the Ten Commandments and one of the ones people deny the most is, you know, have you ever stolen anything? So often people say, no, never. Well, if anyone is ever purposely slacked off in your employment, someone's giving you a paycheck, and they're not watching you. And you do work not as hard or as faithfully as you know you ought to. It's the same as going in and stealing money from your employer. You're stealing from them. The agreement is to do the work like you were taught to do it. And I'm sure no one was taught to slack off when the, the boss says, when I walk away, you can do what you want. But in front of me, work hard. No one's ever been given those instructions. Which means there's a bunch of thieves in this room that need Jesus Christ as their Savior. This town, the businesses in this town, need employees that have Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. And we can watch the economy in Aberdeen grow. We can see businesses flourish. Christians, maybe you're already there. You're already targeted. You're already called to be this. Serve as though you're serving Christ, not having your eyes on men. Fifthly, do it with all your heart. With all your heart. He says, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Literally, that word in the Greek is from the soul. This is this, you know, we talk like this, right? Whatever you do, do it with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul. Do you realize that if you confess Christ as Lord, 
You're to go to work and work for your employer, not reasonably. Not just like everyone else. If you compare yourself to the second best or to the next best employee, you're probably not serving with all your heart and with all your soul as though you're serving Christ. This is what Paul is asking slaves. This is how he's asking slaves to be obedient to their masters. I guess the one thing I'd add to that is when we think of the heart, we've often talked about this, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the place where we think, it's the place where our affections are, and it's the place where our desires are that bring about action. So we're to serve, not just intellectually, but with our affections, with desire that brings about hard work. The hardest working people in the world ought to be Christians because work is not the curse. Yes, our work is cursed. It is hard. We do do it by the sweat of our brow. But your effort in how hard you work has everything to do with your spiritual life and your relationship with Christ. Sixthly, with a good attitude, having your eyes on the Lord. Look at verse 7. Rendering service with a with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Rendering service with a good will as service to the Lord, not to man. Really similar to having your eyes not on man, but on the Lord. But it's to be done with a good attitude. With good motives. Isn't attitude the hardest part? I mean, I know my... Children know this. It's not that hard to actually do what we asked you to do. The hard part is to do it with goodwill. To say, this is worth it. Christ is worth it. Verse 7, I kind of see as a summary statement over everything he has already said. And then the seventh way he qualifies it, I think, is with proper perspective. Look at what he says in verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he'll receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. The temptation of the employee, or in this case was the slave, the temptation was to feel sorry for yourself in the position and the suffering you're in as you walk, watch your boss, who probably has more money, probably has a bigger office, maybe has air conditioning, maybe you don't. The temptation is to feel sorry for yourself, but God says, 
You need to see things according to reality. He says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he'll receive back from the Lord. There will be reward. There's nothing you'll ever do that's in vain. Your boss, who may, could be a jerk, maybe treats you unfairly. Working for him is not in vain. It's never in vain. Because you'll never do anything good that the Lord will not reward. Ever. If that's true, then what motivation we ought to have fundamentally just to please Christ. That's all we want to say, but the Scripture speaks of reward. And we say, well, it's not about the reward, it's about Christ. That's true. But here's the problem. Christ is a lavishing giver of grace. And you can tell Him, Christ, all I want is You. Don't give me any added blessing. And He's going to give you added blessing. And from heaven's perspective, you're going to know it's from Him. And your worship is not going to be for the reward, but it's going to be for the rewarder. What, a, what an amazing thing. The, the purposeless life the Roman slave must have felt they had. And then they heard the gospel and got saved. And the apostle is addressing them. And in Colossians, he said, by the way, your master is not going to get away with what he's doing to you. you know, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But everything you do, if you adorn the gospel of God, it will be rewarded. I think of Vodi Bakum's words in regards to uh, who he's going to let marry his daughters. The first thing he says is he says, if you're not a hard worker, you're not getting in within 20 miles of my house. First and fundamentally. Some of them might say, well, why is that such a big thing? Why is it so important to be a hard worker? Because your work is connected to your relationship with Christ. You may say Christ is your Savior. Have you understood that Christ is your Lord and Christ has called you to work hard when no one's watching? I'll never forget the story I heard of the, the, the speaker was talking about how he grew up on a farm. And he was driving across the plowed field with his father. And there was some trash out in the field. And his father pulled up in the pickup. He said, get out and grab that. And so the speaker, when he was a young man, he, he gets out, he grabs it, and he throws this magazine in on the seat. And it's a pornography magazine. And the father knocks it down angrily to the floorboard of the truck. And 
the kid was thinking, well, this is pretty intense. And he gets home and they pull into the barn, pull the pickup into the barn and he says, go get ready for supper. Go clean up. And so the son walked out of the barn, was going to walk into the house and then he had remembered that he had forgot something in the truck. And so he was turning around, walking back into the barn, and he looked through the window of the barn and he saw his dad grabbing the magazine off the floor board of the truck. And he said, my heart could have stopped in that moment. And his dad angrily walked across the length of the barn to the garbage and threw it in there. And he had no idea at all that his son was watching. His son was watching. We say that's a big deal. Christ is watching. It matters how we live when nobody is watching. Employees, it matters how you work when no one else is watching. There's a proverb that says, when the righteous walks in the integrity of his heart, his children after him will be blessed. Fathers, listen to me. When you walk in the integrity of your heart, your children are blessed. Which means, when people aren't watching, and you're doing things you know you shouldn't do, you're not just harming you. You're harming your children. It matters what you do when no one is watching. That proverb is in my pickup because I want myself to be reminded every day your integrity goes much further than you and your reputation. It goes to your entire family and ultimately we're called to please Jesus Christ. Well, I don't want to let employers off the hook, so we're going to save that for a whole sermon. You're going to give more than I had, I guess. Um, but if you're here today and you're wondering what it doesn't mean to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what you would need to know is you would need to understand what the good news is. What the Gospel of Christ is. And what the Scripture tells us is that God is a judge. We will give an account to God. If you're here, you're created by God, which means you're not your own. You're not your own. You're going to give an account for your life. But because God's holy and God's perfect and God's just, on Judgment Day, when you stand before God, if you're found with one sin, with one sin, your punishment will be eternal punishment in hell because it's not about how many sins 
you've committed. It's about whom have you sinned against and you've sinned against the eternal God. And so justice will demand eternal punishment. Separation from God. But God so loved the world. He sent His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Rather than everlasting death. Rather than a body that gets resurrected out of the grave. You realize there's a resurrection unto life and a resurrection unto death. Every grave will open up and an eternal body will come out. What a horrifying thing for someone who will face God outside of Christ. Forever separated from God, you'll be given over to the wanderings of your mind. You'll be given over. You won't just cease to exist. But for anyone who sees the love of God, the grace of God in Jesus Christ, He came to live the perfect life you could never live. So that at the end of His life, He could go on to the cross. God could take your sin and put it on Him and then pour out His wrath on Christ. That's why Jesus said it is finished when He breathed His last breath. He bore the wrath of God on behalf of sinners. And so it's my prayer that no one would treat their soul lightly. You really think you have control of your life? Who gives you your breath? Who gives you your life if it's not God? Don't tempt Him. Right now, grace is offered to you. Right now, pure grace to be received by faith. To simply say, I know I won't stand before a holy God without Jesus taking my sin and giving me His perfect life. If you believe that and you cling to that as your only hope, that's what faith is. Faith is clinging to Christ saying, that's my hope. And if you do that, you repent of your sin and say, Christ, you're Lord of my life. Do what you want for me. You can have the hope of eternal life.